This is Jesse's story. Welcome back to the Six Feet Above podcast. I'm sitting across from uh, Jesse Magaro. Magaro. We're we're discussing how to say it, and I say it wrong every time, and it's like the easiest last name. But she literally had her 17th surgery two weeks ago, and I'm like, Hey, do you want to record a podcast? <laughs> sure. Why not? Why not? Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, you feel all right? Yeah. I'm what did good. you just what's your what's your latest and greatest surgery? Latest and greatest was a full hysterectomy with an endometriosis excision. And that was 17. So Number 17, but you've had like mm-hmm. 20 some procedures you, you said? Yep. So Since you were 15. 15. So I got diagnosed with Crohn's and endometriosis at 15 and then have just basically on and off for the last I don't know, what is that? 17 no, I can't. How math. old are you? 30? 30. I'll be 37. It's 22 next years. Month. Yeah, 22 years have had 17 surgeries and probably 28, 30 procedures. So good. Lord. I'm a pro. I should still be in bed. I was technically supposed to be on bed rest for two weeks, <gasps> but I feel like when you've done this so many times, your body just bounces back. It's yeah. like you become an athlete of surgery. Yeah. And by day five or six, I was like, get me out of here. Like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's like, here we are again. My husband's like, you're not even supposed to be driving yet. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. I'm like <laughs> sneaking to CVS when I'm not supposed to when no one's home. So yeah, you just kind of become a veteran and you learn, you well, learn to bounce back quickly. I, I'm very much appreciative that you agreed to come on this podcast because so Jesse is actually my client. I'm her personal trainer up until a few weeks ago when she was like, actually, I have to get my uterus taken out. So I'm not going to be able to train for a little <laughs> temporary <bit."> pause, <laughs> temporary pause. Um, but you know, when you are somebody's personal trainer and, and vice versa, you learn a lot about that person mm-hmm. and you become friends with them. And every time you, first of all, you have the wildest stories outside <laughs> of like your health journey. <laughs> Um, but you learn so much about the person. And I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember looking at you one day and I'm like, how do you get out of bed? Like, I would be so depressed. I would be so mentally exhausted. And you're like, oh, I am. Like, there are days that Mm -hmm. you have your, like, just like any other human. Mm -hmm. It's just, you're dealing with physical pain every single day of your life. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. Right. You just become used to it. It's like with anything. And I think it's, it's a conscious choice every day. You wake up and decide, are you going to be a victim of your circumstances or are you not? So you can let yourself get dragged down and depressed and never get out of bed. Or you can say, this is my life. Right. These are the cards I've been handed. I can either try to make the most of it and right. focus on what I do have good in my life and what I'm grateful for. Or I can just be like really sad and angry yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, so it's not, you know, people always say to me, oh my God, you have the best attitude. How do you have such a good attitude? I mean, it's a choice. Right. Like, it's not... That's not just, you know, genetically, I was predisposed right. to have a good attitude. Right. You well, know? It's, <laughs> like, it's a daily, you know, I always say happiness is not a choice. Happiness correct. is a habit. Yeah. And you absolutely. have to practice it. And every day, like, I feel like, oh, my God, how did you get out of, like, literally wanting to leave the world to, like, actually being happy? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, how long do you have? You yeah. Know? It's like, it, yeah. it takes a while. Just like, it takes a while to get to that place. So, yeah. um, so we, we started training several months ago. And as you're telling me these stories, I was like, you're... Your mindset, your um, view on life, the things that you've been through, I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate. Mm-hmm. And I, I always like to bring people on that have different types of stories so mm-hmm. that different people can relate. And we can actually like have some tangible takeaways for like what mm-hmm. works for you. And I'll usually save that for the end. But, you know, that's why I was like, hey, like, would you share this, you mm-hmm. know? And you're like, absolutely. Because I do think... Um, you know, gut health is like such a, a topic, like a trigger topic yeah. in the world right now. 
And it's trendy. It's very trendy. <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh, my therapist is very trendy. I'm like, okay, yeah. great. I'm glad you're going to therapy. Like, like whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think there's so much more with Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. Like I think some of these words get thrown around Yeah. and even IBS and all this stuff. And I'm like, let's t- talk to somebody that's like literally mm-hmm. been through everything. Mm-hmm. So Jess, where are you from originally? So I was born in San Antonio, Texas. Okay. I was an Air Force brat. I was in the military. He was Air Force for 14 years. Okay. Was lucky that he was a doctor in the Air Force and worked um, kind of more on the like government side versus yeah. soldier side. Yeah, so yeah. we didn't move around as much as a lot of people. We moved to New York City for two years for him to do his cancer fellowship, back to Texas. And then I landed in Charlotte for middle school. Okay. So I went to middle school and high school in Charlotte. So, Got it. you know, Texas and Charlotte, I guess right, is what right, I would right, say to right. people. And he's he's a surgeon now, right? He's a urologic oncologist, which is hysterical because it's like the cobbler's son has no shoes. Like <laughs> he's, you know, a super specialized doctor that works in kind of the region where all of my problems are. Right. And, you know, I have these like crazy incurable illnesses that, you know, he can't fix. Right. So right. I think uh, we also have an interesting and unique relationship there where I am so thankful I had him right. going through all of this because – He's been able to help me a lot, like fight for me mm-hmm. or, you know, explain things to me or help make decisions when things were gray mm-hmm. about what to do. Um, so he's been a huge source of counsel and yeah. um, information. And I'm just really thankful that right. I had him. I and not only hard from like for a him. father figure, but from yeah. like a doctor, like yes. clinical, yeah. you know, side. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, how, I mean... How did everything kind of start? I think you said you were around 15. Yes. So what was the first, I don't even, I guess I don't even know actually like what happened originally when you're like, something's not right with my body. So my mom said, as soon as I kind of hit puberty and, you know, got a cycle Mm -hmm. that things started seeming off, I was seeming sick, but you know, teenagers are kind of hard. So like a lot of the symptoms I was showing could also just be symptoms of being a teenager. Right, right. And so I had like a lot of lethargy, a lot of nausea, but then I started, you know, having joint pain mm. and, you know, having a ton of problems, um, gynecological problems with my cycle that yeah. just seemed way beyond what anybody else my age was dealing with. So this is like 13, 14. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 13, yeah. 14. So we spent about two years getting bounced from all these specialists trying right. to figure out what the heck is wrong with me. Um, my Crohn's did not present as normal. Crohn's disease from like a symptom standpoint. So instead of having like severe stomach pain, weight loss, and then more like diarrhea, sorry, are we, yeah, are we allowed no, to say that on? We say everything on <laughs> that a cuss word? Well, that's the uh, whole point. It's like, you know, like this is real life. Right. Like, somebody needs to talk somebody about Somebody needs to talk about it. It's like no one wants to talk about <laughs> exactly. it. Pun intended. Exactly. Um, so, okay, we can talk about it. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. so Crohn's, was back up. Crohn's is an autoimmune disease. It's an autoimmune disease of the digestive tract. Right. So basically your body, uh, your immune system attacks your digestive tract, the lining of it. Okay. And if you have Crohn's, it's anywhere from the top of your esophagus all the way down through your bottom, like okay. the end. Ulcerative colitis, which is like the sister disease, yes. that is just your lower half of your digestive tract. So that only affects your colon and your rectum. Got so it. that's the difference. Crohn's Got is it. your whole body essentially. And then you see is just your colon and your rectum. So when you have Crohn's or you see, a lot of times it's like urgency, diarrhea, extreme weight loss, um, you know, pretty debilitating stomach pains. Yeah. I wasn't having those symptoms. So 
most doctors that wasn't on their radar because right. I was really young. So right, they right, just right. weren't Is thinking that about abnormal that. abnormal for someone that young to be diagnosed with Crohn's? Um, it's becoming know? more and more common because I think Is people it? are more aware of it. So okay. people are getting diagnosed sooner than they were before. I yeah. also think there's just been a massive uptick in autoimmune diseases in general over the last, you know, 10 to 20 years. Yeah, some yeah. of it being awareness, some of it being there's just, Shit you know, in the there's, air. yeah, there's an increase in cancer. There's an increase and, yeah, in yeah. autoimmune. So it, it just at the time, you know, that was 22 years ago, they just weren't thinking autoimmune. Right, it just right. wasn't on their radar. They told my mom at one point, they were like, she just has an eating disorder. And my mom's like, <gasps> she's blown up like a blimp. She's actually like gaining weight, but in a weird way. <laughs> like she looks puffy, like there's inflammation going on. Yeah. And I'm with her all the time. Like I would know if she wasn't right. eating. Like, what are you talking about? Right. So I can't remember how we ended up at a gastro, but we finally ended up at a gastroenterologist and they scoped me. And I remember getting out of the scope and looking at my mom's face and like, sorry, I don't know why I'm getting upset. Oh, That's so weird. I've never talked about this. Yeah. Um, and knowing obviously they had found something and yeah. something was like really wrong. Um, and they said, you have Crohn's disease. It is super severe. You're about as severe as you could be. You have ulcers, you know, from the top of your esophagus, like all the way down through your bottom. You need to go on chemo essentially it's biologics but this is at 15 yeah um yeah so like you need to go on all these hardcore you know black box drugs and like immediately yeah. now and you're probably also going to need surgeries so that was really hard because we just were not expecting to get such a severe right. diagnosis right. so young and again at the time the people didn't know a lot about IBD so it felt like a death sentence you yeah. know like yeah. and I was so sick and having such trouble getting out of bed and just with the nausea and the fatigue and the joint pain that it felt like, you know, doomsday. Like, okay, right. my life is over. I'm not going to go to college. I was a uh, junior in high school. Right, right, right. So it was it was hard. Um, and simultaneously, I think it was either right before or right after, they had gone in laparoscopically to explore the gynecological stuff to try to figure out what was wrong. And I was also diagnosed with endometriosis, which, again, is another autoimmune right. disease that right. is, like, can be pretty severe. It's a lifelong you know, issue Process. that's not going to go yeah. away. No yeah. cure. Yeah. Um, and I knew I was going to have to have surgery for that. So a lot of heavy stuff at 15. All of a sudden <sighs> you go from being like a normal kid to like you're not just like, what yeah, am I going to wear? You're like really not okay. Um, so I had endometriosis surgery first. They went in and did an excision. They removed like a big polyp from my uterus. I'd had a cyst that burst. They went in and dealt with that. And then I did about a year to two years of just like intense medication. And I mean, this is chemo level stuff. Like you are losing your hair. You are sick. Like you have no immune system. It wipes your immune system. So you're susceptible to getting everything. They're intense drugs. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then my gastroenterologist, I was still having symptoms, even though it looked like it was improving on the inside. He wanted us to just stay the course and stay on meds. Well, luckily, again, having my dad right. and being a surgeon – I think he knew, wait, there's probably a surgical option that they're just not addressing because of her age or, right, you right, know, right. because they try to be more conservative. I want her to go to college. If there's a way we can go in and surgically remove the bit of the disease that's left, if it's in a place that we can take it out, right. which it is, it was like localized down to, I think, a foot and a half of my small intestine, like my cecum, which is kind of the lower part of your small intestine, and my appendix. So okay. they knew it was isolated there. And you don't need any of that. <laughs> like You don't. That's a, the body's so ironic because there's so many like things duplicate organs need. and things you like yeah. can live without. So he knew we could do it. My gastro was not on not on board at all. And he was like, absolutely not. You know, we need to do more meds before we go to surgery. And my dad's like, I've researched this. I've talked to people. One of my mom's best friends was a general surgeon out in California that does these surgeries yeah. a lot. Yeah. And he agreed and weighed in like, yes, do the surgery. Like elect to do it. This could really Help like her. put her in surgical remission. 
So they did it and I woke up basically in remission, which was nuts. Like they went in and as soon as they removed that disease Mm -hmm. portion, I was like all of a sudden better. And this was December or January of my senior year, I think. And so all of a sudden I was able to go to college, which Mm -hmm. was crazy. And that's all we had ever, you know, hoped for and wanted was for me to go on and live a normal life. Yeah. So I get off all meds, which, you know. Wait, hold on one second. Are the two related? So people ask me that all the time. Um, The answer is all autoimmune diseases are related. So all of them stem from some sort of root cause, like likely in your nervous system. So I think you're genetically predisposed to these things. Right, right, right. They haven't like found certain genes that match up with this or prove it, but they know that you have a genetic predisposition to certain diseases. Do either of your parents have? No. No. And I actually don't have any family history of either. I have one cousin that has UC ulcerative colitis Mm -hmm. on my dad's side, Mm -hmm. but he has a family history on his like other side. Got it. So whether or not ours are related is kind of gray. The only connection we have is in the Jewish population, specifically Ashkenazi Jews. Yeah. There is like a huge link to Crohn's disease. And on my dad's side, they were all Ashkenazi Jewish. Mm. So even though no one else on their side had it, there's a gene clearly somewhere that was like passed along that for whatever reason I carry and it was activated. Got it. My brother never got it. You know, okay. like my dad never got it. His siblings never got it. No one else has um, had it except for me. But and there's no knowing like what caused the other, like if it was the Crohn's causing the endometriosis. Correct. Like so like I think what happens is one wakes up, basically one yeah. activates, yeah. it screws up your immune system, your immune system goes crazy and then you develop other things. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of people that have immune diseases have multiple. Got it. They have other comorbidities because they're all linked. Like at the end of the day, there's some sort of root cause that's causing this autoimmune issue. And so right. it's not uncommon for you to have, you know, rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's or like Crohn's and endometriosis or a lot of endometriosis patients have IBS, which is mm. different than IBD. So there's no doubt they're all related. Related. Yeah. I just I think that they haven't, you know, they haven't specified figured it out yet. Yeah. And you know they're all related actually because a lot of the treatments all interconnect. Got it. So like I'm on drugs that they use for RA, for eczema, for um, like so many other conditions that also work for Crohn's. So that has to make you think like, hello, yeah. obviously these are all connected yeah, yeah, yeah. if the treatments that we're using are similar, are yeah. the same. They're okay. basically all immune suppressants. Yeah. Okay. They suppress your immune system. So you're like, okay, great. I can go to college. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, besides this gyno stuff that I have to deal with, right. which I can deal, they put you on birth control and they suppress, you know, your cycle mm. to kind of help it. I was like, okay, I'm normal. And I think there Did was- your hair a- grow back and everything? Yeah. 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 I like okay. got totally healthy and yeah. came off all the drugs and- So I lived that way all through college, through my 20s. Where'd you go to school? College of Charleston. Okay. Um, You know, definitely was not taking care of myself, partying too much. (laughs) Like uh, The fact that it didn't come back sooner is kind of astonishing now that I know what I know now about diet and lifestyle. But I made it, you know, 12 plus years in remission. Um, And during that time, I had some of the gyno stuff, you know, came up. But like that is so largely understood and not well taken care of. Like Mm -hmm. patients with endometriosis are just not well taken care of because there's people just don't pay attention to it. And there's a lot they don't know about it. So I had always kind of been, oh, just go on birth control. Go on Mm -hmm. birth control. You'll be fine. I'd always had in the back of my mind, I'm probably going to have fertility issues from this. But I didn't know what that was going to be. Yeah. And I never spent a lot of time on it mentally because right. I was just out you know, celebrating 20s. thinking yeah. I'm a normal And human. it's like, I think you also are like, I'll deal with that when I get to it. Yeah. Like going through what you went through at 15, 16, 17 year old, years old, you're like, I want to just enjoy my life. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm like, not going to like stress about yeah, the future. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you're not thinking about mortality or any of that when you're right. in your 20s. You're just not. Sure. Most people aren't. So I get married to Josh in 2016. 
And at that point, stuff was starting to not feel right. I was having a lot more pain in kind of my abdomen pelvis area. I was wondering if the Crohn's was kind of like waking back up, but I was being scoped. Like I actively went and had a colonoscopy to check and they said I wasn't. They said like just out of nowhere, like you weren't necessarily doing anything specific. You just Mm -hmm. started not feeling good. Yeah. I just started having a lot more pain and just kind of had like a gut sense something was wrong. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. And I was really pushing the OBGYN. Something is wrong. I need you guys to look at this. And also, I just got married and we want to start a family soon. So, like, I want to make sure I'm right. okay. Right, right. Um, and the guy who I was seeing at the time just was not equipped to deal with it. And luckily, you know, didn't have an ego and bowed out and basically said, I need you to go see a high-risk OBGYN and gave me a name. And so I transferred my care there. Did you ever tell Josh before you got married that you had this history? Yes. So he knew, but he also thought like I thought. I mean, he right. was just going off what I was going off of, like, which is like, YOLO, I'm clear. I'm cured. Right. Like, it's been we, 12 years. Yeah. I mean? We just. Yeah. What could go wrong? You know, which is like, <laughs> I should start Fast a podcast. What could years. go wrong? You really like, should. What else could go wrong? You could talk. You, um, you, I'm sure you'd have people coming out of the woodwork about this stuff. It's insane. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, he knew, but I think we both foolishly or just hopefully, you know, optimistically didn't think it was going to be a problem. Right. Um, right. So I get transferred to the high-risk OB and, you know, I really think she was put in my life for a reason because without hesitation – you know, she heard me, she was listening. Mm-hmm. And I think she had red flags going off in her head as yeah, well. Yeah. And she said, look, before you guys start trying to have kids, like really actively trying, I, I do think there is a problem. I have an idea of what it is. I do think it's the endometriosis. And I think the reason it's not showing up on like regular vaginal ultrasounds is because endo can be above the uterus. So uh, I think it's probably like in, on your tubes and like higher up. And that's why we can't see it. And it's not being picked up on scans, but I think that's what right, the, right. where the pain's coming from. So she did something very unconventional and sent me to a fertility specialist before we'd even like really started trying to have kids and said, I want them to do a test called an HSG where they go in. Yeah. It's kind of like a saline ultrasound for them to see if your tubes are blocked. Mm. And she said, if your tubes are blocked, we're going to schedule a laparoscopy. So like an exploratory surgery to go in because it's endo and we're going to have to go and probably excise it, clean mm. it out. You're probably, you might lose your tubes, but like. I want to save you the heartache of trying to get pregnant right. for a year and not knowing why when right. we know that there's clearly probably a problem versus that's going like to most. I feel like most stories you hear, it's like, oh, yeah, they just told me to try and, and get back to me in a year. Yes. And then you're like, I've wasted a year of my life yes. when like, I, I mean, I think your your story's going to be pretty obvious. It's like you have to be your own advocate. Oh, yeah. You know oh, I my mean? gosh. But it's yes. hard to do that when you don't know what to do. Yes. But I also think, you know, when people are like, oh, my gosh, you've been through so much, like that is one part of my story that I've always kind of looked at as such a silver lining and such a godsend to us because she saved us like years of what could have been heartache and pain on the infertility side. So, you know, we'll get to it. We did go through a lot from the infertility (laughs) standpoint, but not nearly what we would have or could have gone through had she not intervened so quickly. Right. And I think most doctors probably wouldn't have intervened as fast as she did. So you're living here in Atlanta at that time. I'm living here in Atlanta. Okay. Yes. Okay. So So she sends you to this. um, Sends me to the fertility doctor. Okay. Um, She was like, look, because you're, you haven't been trying for a year and there's all sorts of kind of nuances, you're probably gonna have to pay for this because we can't justify it. But like, if you can pay, I think it was like 500 bucks, but like pay for it out of pocket, go and get this test done so that we know if we're going to do an exploratory surgery. If the test comes back that you your tubes aren't blocked, I don't want to put you through a laparoscopy. I want to try have you try to get pregnant because if and they open you up, happens. they're going to create scar tissue. So mm. I don't want to do that if we're like trying to get pregnant soon, unless we know there's probably 
endometriosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I go for the test. And I mean, it was the same thing, like same face as my mom had when I woke up from the doctor. surgery. You could see it all over his face as he was doing. You're awake. And, you know, I could tell he was like mumbling and it was kind of like grunting. And then at one point he stopped and left the room and like went and brought a nurse in and they were trying to look at the screen. I'm like, yeah, this isn't good. Did they let Josh come in? No. Um, but I knew at that point, you know, okay, well, here it is. So they won't tell you what's wrong, which is so annoying. Right, you right, have right. to like leave right. and they're like, the doctor will call you. Right. I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, like we'll I know let you something. Know if you have a break in your finger. Yeah. Like, well, I'm like, see it, I know something's wrong. So tell me. <laughs> so, you know, I got the call. Your tubes are both blocked. Um, and then I got the call from my OBGYN saying, here's the referral to this endometriosis specialist. They're basically gynecologists that specialize in like endometriosis. They're okay. surgeons though. Okay. Um, they go to like extra surgical surgical training. Here's the referral. Go meet with this guy. Um, you're probably gonna lose both of your tubes, but it is okay. We can do IVF. Like you're gonna be you're gonna be fine. So it you looks- can do IVF without your tubes because the egg doesn't have to travel through anything. Correct. correct. Okay. And actually, like if your tubes are blocked, they prefer you remove them because if you don't, you can get kind of this toxic fluid buildup mm-hmm. that can be detrimental to the embryo. It can like end a pregnancy basically. So okay. they want them gone if you're, if they're blocked. Okay. Even if they're partially so blocked. So either way you had to like figure out what to do with them. Yes. Got it. So this was in, this was all happening in like May or June. So fast forward to November, I went through, you know, a lot of mental, you know, just ups and downs and issues yeah. of like trying to come to terms with the fact that like we never even really got to try. And like all of a sudden I'm just launched into this really like, you know, science experiment right. type way of getting right, pregnant right, right. and not, I don't know, just kind of took the fun fun out of it. Like all my friends are trying to get pregnant and like, you know, having fun doing it the old fashioned way. And we're sitting here like, womp, womp. Like this is not the way we saw this going. But we just, we forged on. So I go under for that surgery, fully expecting and accepting that, you know. Wait, were you still, can I ask you this personal question? Yeah. Are you still allowed to actively try? I mean, you can, but also at that point they were like. I mean, yes and no. Yes, you could still actively try, but they're like, if you get pregnant, it's probably not going to end well. So like, it could be up so topic. Like you can't even or have like, fun regardless, basically. Yeah, I mean, they didn't put me on birth control, but they also right. were like, you know, we don't want you necessarily to get pregnant. The chances of me getting pregnant were so low at that point see, with the black tubes. Anyway, but if I did, it probably would not have gone well. And so we weren't, we definitely weren't trying. Right, right, right. So um, we had kind of just put it to bed and we we're like, Got we'll it. have the surgery and then we'll do IVF in the new year. Like that's just Which also affects how... a marriage, right? So you're like, there's yeah, that. You yeah. Know? It's like, well, yeah. this, this is, and it, I mean. Yeah. It, well, it was hard because we, you know, all of our friends got married at the same time. Yeah. So we were all, we all got engaged at the same time. Mm. We all had, you know, our bachelor and bachelorette parties. We all had our weddings kind of within six months of each other. And then all of a sudden our life comes to a screeching halt and they're all still living life together and being normal and like trying to yeah. get pregnant. And we were like, oh, wait, okay. So now we've got this cloud, you know, right. kind of over us and were kind you of this sh- heaviness. sharing that at the moment or were you guys kind of keeping everything? <sighs> at that point, we were sharing it really with our only like very close friends. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that we were hiding it. It just wasn't something that we were like, Talked about. you know, yeah. actively talking about. I do remember having the conversation with him because he's a my husband's a very, very, very private person. Mm. That's just how he was raised. And yeah. you just don't talk about your feelings. You don't talk yeah. about your business. Like your private life is a private life and no one else should know about it. Sure. Um, and so that was really hard for us in the beginning because I immediately felt this like really strong, um, I don't know, like drive, push to share. Like there was just a part of me from the very beginning that almost went, okay, um, this happened to me in high school. I thought I skirted it, but I didn't. Right. I'm back to being, you know, a patient again and having something wrong with me and, you know, being 
not normal for lack of a right, better word. Right. This is happening to me for a reason. Like this was happening because I am meant to like share this and help other people. Yeah. I just had like a really strong yeah, pull. pull to that. Mm-hmm. And so I remember having the conversation with him of like, look, you know, I do kind of want to be open about this. Like I do really feel compelled to share it. And it was hard because initially he was like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just did not feel comfortable. He didn't want to. It, it made him very uncomfortable. Yeah. So we kind of had, you know, a little bit of an awkward dance for a while um, over that because yeah. I felt really strongly about it, but I also wanted to respect his wishes. Sure. It's his life too. Yeah. So I'm not just going to go and go do whatever all our stuff if he right. doesn't want to talk about it. So fast forward to having the surgery, they put me to sleep. I go to sleep, you know, kind of just crying. It was so pathetic and sad because I'm like, all right, here we go. Just like, do this whatever is it. This to. is like the end of my, you know, ability to ever have kids mm. naturally. And I wake up and I have this little um, Italian doctor who has like <laughs> such a strong accent. You barely understand me. He's like, Jesse, I'm not even going to do this accent because it'll be embarrassing. But he's like, okay, I had to take one of the tubes, but I was able to repair the other one. And he is like elated. I mean, he is over the moon. He's like bouncing off the walls. He's so happy that he able he was able to repair yeah. this tube. Yeah. I, my gut, like my stomach literally just immediately dropped. For some reason, I just had a really bad feeling yeah. about it. And I was, I did not share his elation. So he's like, why are you not happy? Like, this is amazing. Like, you might be able to get pregnant naturally. Like, this is great. I'm like, okay. I just like, I don't know. Something doesn't, something doesn't feel right. Yeah. So I have the conversation with him. I have the conversation with the fertility doctor at that point, because we were connected. You know, we were established patients at that point and the gynecologist and I'm asking him all, I'm like, okay, so now what are my chances of getting pregnant naturally? Is that dangerous? Right. Um, am I more at risk for ectopic still, even though you think that tube is repaired? Is there, is there a reason that we shouldn't try to get mm. pregnant or should we just, you know, wait and do still do IVF in January or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of them were just so lackadaisical about it. They were like, you know what it is, what it is. Like, you're probably still not going to get pregnant that quickly between now and when we're going to do it. And the safest thing for you is probably still to just do IVF anyway. So take the holidays off, like enjoy yourself and like, we'll see you in January. Okay. That's kind of just how they left it. <laughs> well, guess who got pregnant right away? Oh boy. Yeah. Um, and it took me a while to realize I was, my cycle had been all messed up at that point. So I didn't realize I was late until probably about two weeks after I should have gotten my period. So like six weeks at that point, Mm. you're six weeks pregnant at that point. So I remember Josh was out of town for work. Of course it's (laughs) Martin Luther King day. So everything's closed. And he's out of town. You literally have the worst line. I know. I I really, it's it's like just comical. (laughs) So I remember being like, I'm going to take a pregnancy test. And then I was like, wait, why am I doing this to myself? It's going to be negative. Like, why am I even, you know, doing this? So I go back and forth, go back and forth. I'm alone. Um, I take it and it's positive. And I just like burst into tears and I call Josh. He doesn't answer. I call my mom. I don't know if Josh knows. I told her first. So (laughs) sorry for listening to this. Spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) So I call her and I'm like hysterically crying and I'm like, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. And she just like turns into a puddle and is like, you know, over the moon. So excited that, you know, we had been through all of this and like, what a miracle that we were pregnant. And you know, this is so great. So I finally get in touch with him and, you know, tell him. And he was, you know, obviously equally as excited right. and like, you know, crying. But also he was like a little gun shy about it, too, because yeah. he's like, wait, are you sure? Like, are you sure we're OK? And I'm like, yeah, I think we're fine. Well, it's weird because then the next day I just had a bad feeling again. Like, mm-hmm. I can't explain it. I, there was I had no reason to have a bad feeling. I just had a bad feeling. And so I call the clinic and I tell them and they're like, oh, my God, congratulations. That's amazing. Like, you don't have to go through IVF. Like, come in and let's make sure the pregnancy is, you know, progressing. Like, the blood works good. We'll do an ultrasound, you know, yada, yada. So 
and go in for my appointment later that week. And at that point, I had started spotting, but they were like, it's fine. Normal. Like, it's, yeah. yeah, it's normal. So I go through and my blood work, I guess, was like stellar, like A++++, like couldn't have looked any better. Yeah. And I had asked them, okay, so does that mean like the pregnancy is good? And they said, well, from a hormone standpoint, like your progesterone is so high, it's definitely not eptopic. Um, you know, everything looks really good. Your your beta, like whatever they, they do when they do IVF, like you look good, okay. you should be fine. Okay. Um, then they did the ultrasound and they couldn't see a sac. But they weren't concerned about that at all because AO was still only six weeks. But right. also I'd had a lot of scar tissue. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, we probably just can't see it from the scar tissue. Come back again in eight weeks and we'll scan. And at that point, we should be able to see it. So they were completely unconconcerned. Like nobody seemed, you know, yeah. concerned at all. And at that point, I was really starting to have a bad feeling. Like mm -hmm. something just didn't. I don't know. I can't explain it. It was the like deepest, darkest, most despair type feeling I can possibly describe. And it was just eating at me. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't even be happy because I was like something. I Did just, you tell just like, doesn't Josh feel right. Yeah. Like I talked to Josh and my mom about it and everybody was just like, be hopeful. You know, this is like we have no reason right. to feel worried about this. Like the doctors are telling us everything is fine. You know, we should be like happy about it. Right. But you're like, um, also, I know my body. Yeah, and, Which like, I've hard. always, you know, just been really in tuned and yeah. had pretty high instincts of, like, what was going on in my body. So the day before my eight-week appointment, when I was supposed to go back for my ultrasound, I was sitting at work, and all of a sudden I just had this feeling. It felt like somebody came through and stabbed me through, like, the side of my back. Ooh. And I was like, ooh, that was weird. Like, that was a really weird feeling. And I had kind of, like, this wave of nausea, but then it disappeared. Everything went away. Um, but it freaked me out enough that yeah. I think it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. So I like went to my boss and I was like, Hey, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go home. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't really feel well. I'm going to go home. Well, I get home and by the time I'm home, like, Oh, I'm totally fine. Like that was just, you yeah. know, whatever. Well, again, you know, dad, like knight in shine, shining armor, Aww. he literally saved my life. I can't remember why we were talking. I either called him or he called me. But we start talking and I'm telling him what happened. He just gets really quiet and he's like, hey, where are you? And I'm like, I'm at home. And he's like, where's Josh? And I'm like, he's at work. It's four o'clock. Like, what do you <laughs> what do you mean where's Josh? Luckily, yeah. he worked like across the street yeah. from where we live. And he was like, you need to go to the ER. You need to call Josh. Like, I don't don't drive yourself. Either have Josh drive you or like Uber there. Go to the ER. Get Josh with you. You this pregnancy is eptopic. It just ruptured. Like you're bleeding internally. You need to get to the hospital ASAP. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, even though I had a bad like feeling. It went away. Yeah, even yeah. though I had a bad feeling about the pregnancy, even then, and I'd even questioned the possibility of eptopic. But when he said it, I just didn't. I was right. like, no way. Like yeah. there's no way. But I go because I let I mean, if he he was the type of dad too, doctor dad that like you had to have a bone sticking out of your leg for him to be like, go to the hospital. You know, like yeah. most, he, I remember yeah. him like vividly stitching up friends of mine on our, on our <laughs> Island in our kitchen. Like he just, yeah. he took care of everything himself. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that he was telling me to go was alarming enough. Sure. That I listened. So we go check into the hospital. My OB was of course out of town. Of course she was. Yeah. And she had called in to the ER and told them I was coming, told them it was an eptopic pregnancy probably that ruptured and I needed to be seen. Like she knew it? Like she believed She, dad, Yeah, she, she had the same opinion yeah, that he yeah. did that that was probably what was wrong. But somehow like hairs got crossed. It was not communicated. And even though we told them that, they didn't get her message. So we sat in the ER for eight hours mm. waiting while I'm like bleeding internally. internally. And it was a bad rupture because at that point we're like eight weeks along. So most people... If they catch the eptopic early, which they do, you're given a drug called methotrexate, which helps just like pass the pregnancy along so Got that it. it can't rupture your tube. Got it. I was too far past that. So like Ooh. mine ruptured and actually, you know, for lack of better words, it explodes in your tube, like your whole tube ruptures. So I'm bleeding internally, but like I'm still feeling okay. So 
Josh and I are kind of like laughing, you yeah. know, joking around in the ER, just kind of like farting around waiting for somebody to come see us. And then he started getting like a little bit agitated of like, wait, like maybe you're not like we probably should be. Seen. Yeah, this is kind of crazy. So he starts pushing. Finally, somehow they get the message from my OB, however many hours that was later, what was going on. And then it's like a rush. It's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, get back here. You know, we're in a room. All of a sudden there's, you know, scrubs and, and computers and like ultrasound machines and people are whispering in the hallway and we're like wait, what is happening like wait a minute like you yeah. guys were acting like nothing was wrong eight hours ago what's going on so they did a scan and then you know same thing same same look doctor comes back oh, in geez. he's like look this ruptured we've waited way too long it's emergency at this point you know you're you have a lot of blood in your abdomen we need to operate oh. asap they're starting to get me to sign, you know, consents for blood transfusions. They're like running blood work to figure out what blood type I am. I'm sitting there being like, I don't even know if I can have a blood transfusion with my immune stuff. Like right. there's just a lot fast. Right, right, right. Signing paperwork, like we might have to take the uterus. We might have to take your ovaries. Just a lot at once. And I remember looking at Josh and he just turned ghost white. I mean, like <laughs> ghost, ghost white. And then he just kind of like, you know, broke down. And it was really hard to watch because yeah. I'm the, you know. Yeah. I'm looking at him like, oh, my gosh, this is destroying him. Right, and like, right, even right, though right. I was upset, it was like really hard to see him yeah. as upset as he was. So they wheeled me in. It was my OB's partner. And I vividly remember her kind of leaning down and being like, look, I'm going to try to save everything I can. Like, oh. I'm hoping you'll be fine. But like, this is serious. Um, I'll do everything I can. And I woke up and it was okay. They'd save my ovaries and save my uterus. Oh, so wow. that was good. Okay. But then at that point she had noted, hey, by the way, your endometriosis is really bad. Like it is stage four. Your uterus did not look great. There's a lot of adhesions and scar tissue. If you want to get pregnant, we need to do IVF like ASAP, mm. like as soon as possible. So they launched me into IVF. Even like, like after that surgery? 30 days later, which wow. in retrospect was like really fast and probably way too soon. But I get it. They were trying – to give me the best shot possible. Yeah. I mean, they, they yeah, all yeah, at yeah. that point were emotionally invested in trying to see if they could get us a kid. So right, right. they launched us into it. Well, all this time, the like side thing going on in the background is my Crohn's is dormant. But what a lot of people don't know is with Crohn's disease, your Crohn's really needs to be in remission for you to get pregnant. Okay. Because if you get pregnant while your Crohn's is active, you can get really, really sick. So most GIs will like advise, you know, women with Crohn's, like make sure your disease is completely stable and like under control before you get pregnant. So like, how do you know if it's dormant? Like you they just, do scopes, like oh, they can okay. go in and do they colonoscopy. Can see. They oh can yeah, they see. can see and okay. they do biopsies and like they, they'll, they know it's whether or not. It's not just like, oh, I feel great. No, oh. no, no. And a lot of times you can't go by your symptoms because there are people that feel totally fine and are like really, and they really get sick. And they yeah, they don't know. Or vice versa. They feel really sick, but the disease doesn't match like what they're sure, seeing. Sure, sure, sure. So I had been scoped. I, I had started drugs again at that point, I had reintroduced drugs after a 12 year drug holiday because I knew we were going to try to get pregnant and mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure my body stayed. Yeah. The Crohn's stayed away. Yeah. 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 Um, and so we were working with like OBGI fertility people, all, all, everybody was working together. All the doctors were, you know, like communicating right. about it. So I start going through the egg retrieval part and that's where they pump you with all the hormones. Oh, so that's yeah. when they like oh, really, did, did, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's not fun. the most intense thing in the entire it's world. <laughs> and it's like, you know, crazy unnatural for your body oh, yeah. because you know, they're, they're putting like insane yeah. amounts of hormones in. So they start going through the egg retrieval and all of a sudden my body's like, eh, nope. And I start getting really sick. I'm like projectile vomiting, like the little mm. girl from the exorcist. We almost stopped the cycle like four or five times yeah. throughout Thank goodness I had like a OG fertility doctor who's very well known in Atlanta that was yeah. like this ain't my first rodeo. And so she felt comfortable. A lot of doctors probably would have stopped my cycle. Yeah. But she just had one 
you track. know, one track mind of like, we're going to get you through right. this. Like you're going to be okay. And I vividly remember the night that I was so sick and Josh and I were laying in bed and we're on the phone with her. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, am I supposed to go to the ER? I had lost my vision. Like, um, I was seeing orbs, like think my body was just going nuts. And I was like, I don't think I'm okay. I'm worried. I'm going to like have a stroke. Are you sure? <laughs> I should keep going. And that was the night that I had taken the trigger shot. So I was supposed oh, to like yeah. do the retrieval the next, next day. day. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, look. You've made it this far. You've made it this far. <laughs> Stay with me. If you go to the ER, they're likely going to give you X, Y, and Z drugs, and we will have to cancel yeah. the retrieval, retrieval tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Things are looking really good. I think we're going to get a lot of eggs. I don't want to cancel this. If you feel like you can make it through the night, make it through the night. Let's get through this retrieval. And then we're going to stop anyway, because we're going to freeze the embryos and test right. them and we can like reassess. Figure it out. So let's just try to get through it if we can. How did you get through the night? I didn't. Like I was up all night. Josh, like, you know, I don't think he slept at all because he's like staring at me, making sure that I'm still breathing. You know, breathing. breathing. <laughs> but what's so crazy is we get off the phone with her and I remember we were sitting Indian style facing each other and I'm like, do you feel like, do you feel okay with this? Like, do you think we should keep going? And He's like, I, mean, I guess, like, do you? And I'm like, yeah. I guess. And I remember hugging and both of us like praying together, like, mm. please make sure, you right. know, she's okay, right. take care of her. And then going to bed and just being like, F it, like, hopefully I'm fine in the morning. <laughs> so we go through the retrieval and then, you know, we stopped, like we stopped all yeah. drugs. Yeah. I contacted my GI and like, something is wrong. Like I'm starting to feel stomach pains. I'm starting to like have a lot of diarrhea, which I've never had before. Um, I just don't feel right. Like I reacted really strongly to those eggs? drugs. Did they get eggs? Yes, 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 yes. I mean, yeah, I yeah. know they did because you have, yes. Yeah, but. we got really, really lucky. They had, they got a ton of eggs. Oh, they felt wow. good about okay. it. We ended up having, you know, getting embryos. So it was fine. Okay. Thank goodness. Cause there's no way I would have been able to go through another retrieval. No. So that's another silver lining, you know, instead of getting nothing or only getting one, we were able to get enough that the doctor felt comfortable saying we're done. Like yeah. we're never doing this yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. So we paused. This is like a 30 to 60 day pause. I go back to the GI. They scope me again to like make sure everything's okay. They're running blood work. I'm I'm feeling better fairly quickly. So everyone's like, oh, your scope looked good. Your symptoms, you know, subsided. We can't tell you what happened. We don't know why that happened. Obviously, your body just had a really poor reaction to right. the hormones, but you're fine. Like yeah. we we clear you to keep going. Everybody was in agreement. Keep going. So I'm like, signed off. Okay. So we go through with the transfer. Yeah. Um, and they at the time at that point, we're like, things look good. You know, you have some scar tissue. It's probably yeah. going to be a coin flip. We don't know that it's going to work on the first try, but let's try it. Things look good. Like the mock cycle, everything had looked good. Well, I get pregnant immediately first try, but within three days of being pregnant, I am hemorrhage bleeding out of both sides, like front and back. Ooh. So I'm like, oh no, like, uh, this, uh, okay, that wasn't an isolated incident. Right. Like my body was trying to say, you know, don't get pregnant. Like this is mm. not, we're not okay. Foreign like, objects. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> Um, so it very quickly turned into like, this is a threatened pregnancy. It's probably not going to last, but we're going to let it run its course. Um, meanwhile, I'm just getting like sicker and sicker. We didn't want to intervene because I think everybody was telling me it wasn't going to work. And so I just figured it wasn't going to work. And then right. once, once we got through it, then we could deal with me being like treated right. Right, essentially right, right. for whatever the heck was going on. Well, that little embryo is three and a half year old crazy Mary Ligon. <laughs> Who obviously we should have known is so strong. Well, she wasn't going anywhere. She, she was like, I don't care if you're the cutest <laughs> little girl in the whole world. She's nuts. Um, <laughs> should have known then. Like, she had a will to live. She yeah. was not going anywhere. She was kind of like, I don't care if you die. I'm gonna, I'm staying. <laughs> like, I'm gonna be here. So, you know, every week we would go in for these ultrasounds, and then <sighs> as the pregnancy progressed, it's like stress tests every week. Like, it was, it was so crazy because as she's growing right. and as this pregnancy and this life is like being beautifully grown inside of me, right. my body is like, absolutely not. Yeah. So like, 
I was having all sorts of crazy pains. I was having organ issues. I developed like severe perianal Crohn's in the rectum, which I had never had before. And the issue is they can't start introducing black box drugs while you're pregnant. So like they were- Okay, hold on. What's a black box drug? That's like the like highest, worst warning, like cancer, death, stroke. Like this is the most dangerous drug you can take. It's the, you know- Strongest drug ever. Yeah, like the scary hardcore stuff. They're like, look, the benefits, you're so sick. The benefits of taking this outweigh- the really the risks. bad risks yeah. of what can happen to you. Sure. So I was already on a black black box drug, Humira, which was a biologic that was mm. supposed to be keeping my Crohn's at bay so that this wouldn't happen. But for whatever reason, it just it wasn't working. And at that point, they're like, we can't change biologics because you're pregnant. So like that is completely ill-advised. Like we can't do that. Yeah. And most of the drug, the hardcore drugs we would give you to calm this down, we can't give you while you're pregnant. So they were giving me steroids, which was scary because that comes with the rest of the fetus. Right, so like right. I'm already feeling like guilty and yeah, bad that like yeah. I'm putting, you know, ML in harm's way and like having to make these really hard decisions of like, I'm not okay, but I also like don't want to do anything to hurt her. Right. So around 24 weeks, I remember um, I had to go to a maternal fetal high risk pregnancy person yeah. because of this. And she had like a horrible bedside manner. It just very <laughs> curt. And I remember saying to her, because at this point, my GIs were like, you need surgery. I had developed a fistula that they were worried. It's a hole What's, in your intestines. Okay. It's like a track that can be built. And it was really far down and it was close to the uterus. So their fear was mm. if there, if an abscess develops and causes an infection, like we can't just leave this. So nobody wants to be operated on pregnant. But they were like, we have to go in and close that track. They, it's, they put this thing in called a seton that basically helps keep it open so it can like drain, heal, and close. Okay, This needs to be done. But like we're – we're going to wait till you hit viability, which was 24 weeks, and then we'll address it. So I go to my maternal fetal. They're like, congratulations, you've hit viability. Just meaning if she was born tomorrow, she, she would live. Would like she okay. could live. Yeah. Um, she'll be in the NICU for a while, but she right. could live. Right. So they say, okay, we've hit li- uh, viability. So maternal fetal is like, you can have the surgery if you want. And I remember being so worried, not about myself, but about her. I mean, I just was so scared. Like, are you sure the surgery is going to be okay for her? Yeah. Like, I'm worried about exposing her to anesthesia. Like, you know, all the drugs. This just feels really not okay. And the maternal fetal person was like, look, at this point, like she's viable and she has shown throughout this entire thing that like she is okay. She's passed every stress with flying colors. Thriving. We're not worried about her. And she was like, the fetus is a really, really miraculous, like amazing thing. At this point, she will kill you before you will kill her. And I was like, what does that mean? And she's like, she will take everything she needs from you and she will probably be okay. You just might not be okay. So you probably need to have that surgery. And I'm like, okay. And Josh is like, what? What? Yeah. Meanwhile, Josh is still recovering from the first surgery that was like not even a year ago that, you know, was so traumatic. So we end up having to have this surgery. It was nuts because we had to have a GI in there, colorectal, you know, OBGYN. We had to have it at a hospital that we had never been to that our normal doctors weren't at. Mm -hmm. So like doctors we weren't familiar with. And that was because the, um, it was the OB that they wanted to do it. So we had to just like coordinate with her essentially. And we're having to sign all this paperwork being like the baby could be born today. Like you're going under anesthesia. We don't know if we're going to have to deliver this baby, but we're going to try not to. Josh and I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, I guess, you know, prepare to see if we're delivering this baby. And I remember waking up and like opening like a quarter of an eye and he was like, you're still pregnant. <laughs> I mean, I was relieved. And I you're was, still alive. Yeah. Like that. I was relieved, right. but you know, right, also right, still right. scared. Cause that meant I had to keep going and you know, so they fixed the hole. Yeah. They were okay. able to fix the okay. hole. Well, you know, cause they kept it from right. like getting worse. Right. So by 32 weeks, I had just progressed. Like I was so sick and you know, all of the, the GIs and the colorectal surgeons were like, we have to get this baby out at mm. this point. Like we cannot 
do anything to help you. We cannot treat you. And you are getting worse and worse by the second until that baby is out of your stomach. Yeah. Now, the problem is at that point, care had been transferred to maternal fetal and like they, their job is to protect the baby. That's their job. Right. So like I'm not bashing them. That is what they do. So in their mind, because ML wasn't showing any distress or problems, they would not clear to take her. And because they were like, no, she's fine. And then my, and then it became a fight of the mm. surgeons of like she or the doctors of like, she's not fine. She's our patient. And maternal right. fetal being like, well, the baby's our patient and the baby's fine. So we don't care about mom. Oh like we have God. no reason to go get her. She's okay. And I mean, it got like it had to go like all the way up the ladder to like hospital administration. It was a big deal. It was bad because yeah, there yeah. was a lot of fighting going on of like, how are we going to Do deal they with even this? give you a say? No, no, you don't get to say. That's really? what was so crazy about the whole thing. It's like, like I my had, own body. Yeah, I had care. no. I brought, I brought this thing into the world. I know. I know. I had no say in any of it, which was really scary. Wow. Um, so finally, maternal fetal was like, okay, they're convinced. You know, we don't we're, we don't agree, but like, if your doctors are saying that she's got to go, you know, eviction notice or like, fine, she can go. Wow. But then the problem was we were hitting Christmas. Like it was the holidays. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. then it became like a scheduling issue. Right. Essentially of um, my doctor did not want anyone else doing it. Mm. So we couldn't go in as emergency. They couldn't get OR time. It just became this whole thing. So they finally call us and they say, okay, there's two dates. We, it had to be a C-section. Like they would not sign off on yeah. delivering vaginally yeah. at that point. It had to be a C-section. So they call and said- be cut up and again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think I'm like 30, you know, three or four weeks at this point and they call and they say, okay, we can do December 26th or New Year's Eve. Those are the only two days we can give you. Oh my God. And we're like, okay, well, we feel bad kind of like making our Christmas baby. That sucks. I guess New Year's is a little bit baby yeah. better. So we'll yeah. do New Year's Eve. Meanwhile, my OB is calling back being like, I don't understand how you can go another day. Like, are you sure? Like, you are not okay. Do right. you really want to wait another week? I'm like, I could do it for her. I could do it for her. Aww. Like, it's fine. I just, yeah. you know, whatever. So they go in, they take her. They told me because it was just shy of 36 weeks. So they told me she's probably going to be in the NICU for a while, but she'll be fine. Um, they brought in a colorectal surgeon to delivery because at that point, they thought I was going to have to go into emergency colorectal delivery as soon as they delivered her. Yeah. Like they thought they were going to have to take my colon out or like do something right after. So we were going in fully prepared for that. So they deliver her completely complication-free. She's fine. Doesn't go to the NICU. Of course she pops out like, I'm here and I'm fine. <laughs> I was like, wait, can I have a couple hours? Like, I was really thought she was going to be gone for a while. I was not prepared for this. She shows up back in her room almost immediately. And I'm like, wait, why are wait, you like, here? have to take care of her? Yeah. So the, the colorectal surgeon comes in and they're like, look, you know, uh, the surgery itself was uncomplicated. We're going to give you a break. Like, we don't want to go. We didn't feel like it was dire enough to go in and have to take your colon out now. So we're going to yeah. let you recover. We'll scope you again. And then we'll decide. Got it. Surgery. So the problem was the second I delivered her, I just tanked. I mean, my body just, you know, went crazy. Wow. Um, they tried to scope me in the hospital. My GI did. And Josh went ballistic. I was like, she just had a C-section. Like, 24 oh hours. Like, we're God. not doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was funny, but he, he fought for me. The OB fought for me. They all kind of like drew a line and saying, like my patient, my patient, my right, patient. Right, right. But the other problem was if they had taken me, they would have discharged Mary Ligon and they would have separated us. Aww. So like I would have been separated from her for that first week. And right. nobody, nobody wants to do that unless you absolutely have, have to. to. Yeah. So I went home um, and then it just got fast forward. It just progressed so severely that the doctors in Atlanta were like, we, you have to go to like a Mayo or like a Cleveland clinic or somewhere a we've never seen this b there was obviously a hormonal component right um right. we don't know what caused this none of the drugs are working you're beyond our scope of care like you need you know a bigger so you're sick in the like you're are you like vomiting like going to the bathroom sick like what yeah so it was like extreme without getting too much Gra i guess yeah, into yeah. like the graphic details yeah. um the disease in the rectum had gotten like so severe i couldn't sit down i was Ugh. having like abscesses fistulas um 
you know, an abscesses or infections. Like right. that's dangerous in itself. So, so it's I was not like a to, typical hemorrhoid after birth. No, absolutely not. <laughs> so I'm like having to go to the colorectal office all the time to like Ugh. have those drains. So they don't, you know, cause a big infection, um, severe pain, like really bad diarrhea, um, like severe nausea, just really bad stomach pain. So I was how, just not how okay. How on a plane or in a car to get down to Mayo or whatever? It was it was bad, but my mom basically had to like completely take care of me. So yeah. she drove me down there. I like sat on a donut. I mean, Ugh. it was crazy. And then because with a always, little baby, with a brand new baby. Yeah, I had to leave the baby Aww. home alone. Like ended up, you know, I had to stop breastfeeding because they immediately put me on these like crazy drugs that you cannot breastfeed on. So there was a lot. There's still like a lot of mourning, I guess, there that I haven't worked through of like. I really kind of was robbed of Missed that, that. Yeah. time yeah. with her and like Josh and his mom. And we had to hire like a full-time nurse, basically night nurse to help them take care of her, mm. took care of her for her yeah. first six months of life. Like right. I was there, but they were doing all of the heavy lifting. Right, I mean, right. And Josh was working a full-time job. Um, so that was really hard, but you know, everyone was like, you got to get better. Like right. this baby needs right. you to be better. So yeah. at the end of the day, like if you it's not going to matter leave, if you're not around. Right. Yeah. So we went down there, I think like two or three times and we would go for like a couple weeks at a time. And it was really hard because yeah. I left her. And then just because you tell me I have the craziest stories, have you ever seen Final Destination? The one where the logs fall off the truck and kill everybody on the highway. Have you seen that? <laughs> you told me this story. Yeah. Oh my God. Tell them this story. The story's fucking so, wild. <laughs> like the third or fourth time we're, we're going down there. I guess I didn't there. realize this. Uh, you told me this story, but I guess I didn't put two and two together knowing that this story happened when you were oh, yeah. like, like in, going oh, to yeah. like, going you know, through all of death this. surgery Yeah, shit. There. So we're going down to Mayo for surgery. Oh um, and we get like, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes outside of Jacksonville and I am in the Some middle lane. Town, right? Oh yeah. It's, yeah. There was nothing around. I mean, it's like, <laughs> cause you know, I remember you told me about it's Bumble. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. not, it's not really civilization. So I'm driving and I'm in the middle lane of like a three lane highway. <laughs> and all of a sudden I see this truck in front of me that has logs in the back of it. And I see that one is like coming off and I'm like, <laughs> Oh my God, this is not happening to me. Like, is this real life? This is not happening to me. And at that point, I had taken over driving for my mom. This was more like not right post op. This was okay. more like several, you know, six months down the road. Okay. I had gotten better. I wasn't okay, but I'd gotten better. We were going down for the surgery to kind of help alleviate the rest of what sure, was wrong. Sure. So I'm driving at that point. I'd switched with her and I see this log and it is everyone that knows me knows I am the worst driver. Like I am just not a good driver. I am Mr. Magoo. I have no death perception. I'm ADD. I'm like, not, I'm not a good driver. I'm not sure how I passed my driver's test, but I did. So I just morph into this other person that is not me. And I see this log start to come off and I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And I remember looking to my right, there's a car. Can't go to my right. Looking to my left, there's a car. Looking behind me, there's cars behind me. So I'm like, well, this is how it ends. Like I, this thing's going to hit me. Like I have nowhere to go. And I remember saying to myself, brace for impact, which is so weird. Like, so like I'm in a movie, like a Nicolas Cage movie. I'm like, brace for impact. Because I knew it was going to hit me. Yeah. And so my I knew to don't swerve. Like whatever you do, don't swerve. Right. So just let it hit you and don't swerve. When this log like hits the ground, breaks off into two pieces and basically like turns into a harpoon. So <laughs> the first half of it hits the grill of my car, but doesn't stop us. At this point, too, we're going like 70 to 80 miles right. an hour. We are not going slow. Is your mom freaking out? She didn't see it. Oh. She didn't see it coming. And it happened so fast. I wasn't even able to right. like tell her, tell her. that yeah. it was about to happen. Like, I think she was like looking down at her phone. Thank God we both had sunglasses on. Mm. So it hits the front of my car. And then the other half comes and literally goes through my windshield in between us, like pierces the windshield, like harpoon and goes in between us. 
And at that point, my windshield is completely shattered. We're covered in glass. I'm still driving. And somehow, (laughs) by the grace of God, I have no idea how, I was able to cross the lane of traffic, get off onto the shoulder, and park the car (laughs) without causing an accident or or anything, which is mind-blowing. God is like, like, how much can I test this one? Yeah, he's like, okay, let's check off life number six. Like, you know, so let's see how many we can get through. So we pull off. We're both like, oh, what just happened? And what was crazy was nobody stopped. So we thought nobody, like, either saw it or that everybody was just an asshole, but no right. one stopped to help us. Right. So we're sitting there waiting, you know, we're calling the insurance company, we're calling the cops. The car's not operable at that point. Right. Like we can't get back in it and drive it. And so the fire department chief shows up and he is like, <laughs> I just can't even <laughs> explain what he was. And he's like, ma'am, I don't know what kind of God you pray to, but like, it is a miracle you are alive. Like you should not, you guys have not, should not have survived that. And I'm like, no shit. I'm looking at my car. Like I'm well aware you're also that. like, if you only knew about yeah, the history, yeah. too, dude. So, so. And, and I'm like, hey, where's the cops? Because I have surgery at Mayo in like two and a half hours that I cannot reschedule. Like, I really need to get to Jacksonville. He's like, what? So the cops eventually come and we're like, you know, trying to convince them to let me go. They want me to go in an ambulance. Right. They want us to like get in an ambulance and go to a hospital. And we're like, Mayo's just as close at this point. Right. We're Can in, you drive us to that hospital? Yeah, we're in BFE. Like, this is, we're yeah. not going to the yeah. hospital here. We just need to get to Jacksonville. So the cop, because small town, yeah. they're friends, tells the like fire person <laughs> that they'll wait for the tow truck, which I don't think any of this is legal. So maybe, I mean, it I guess no one's going to get in trouble. Nobody but, like, cares now. Yeah. So they stay to wait for the tow truck to come and get my car. And they let the fireman drive my mom and I to Mayo Jacksonville. <laughs> so we show up at the ER in a fire truck <laughs> to Mayo. With like glass, glass shards And you. they're so confused. They're like, what are, what you, are you here, here for? for? And they like pull up my name and they're like, you have surgery in like two hours. I'm like, I know I do, but like, can you get the glass out? Like, can you, can you clear me for surgery? Am I good? Were you like bleeding? So, no, it was weird. I can't even explain. The glass was so microscopic that it didn't cause blood. It like it burned. I don't know how else to explain it. And wow. what's crazy is, do you know how they get it out? Tape. They literally uh, use what's the silver tape? I'm blanking. Like duct tape. It? Duct tape. They use the guy came in. And he's like, all right, we use this like really intense technology to get glass out. Did it like, go through your clothes? Oh yeah. I mean, oh, it was like God. shards. What was bad though was more like my neck, mm. like where. And again, thank goodness we had sunglasses on, or that right. would have gone into our eyes. So I'm really Jeez. glad it didn't. I was worse than my mom, I think, because it like came in at an angle. But he's telling me he's got this crazy technology to get glass out, and we're at Mayo, so I'm like, oh cool, what yeah, kind of crazy yeah. technology is it? And he comes out with a roll of duct tape, and I'm like, what? And he's like, this is actually how we get glass <laughs> out. So they were able to get most of it. It was so superficial. I was fine, like oh, completely yeah. fine. Yeah. And they're like, well, we shouldn't clear you for surgery, but we're, we're it's yeah. okay. You're going to be oh fine. Oh my God. So I had the surgery. So that was, uh, I don't know. Where are we going from here? You, so, so that's irrelevant. We passed that, stay the surgery. Yeah, I stayed yeah. there for a few yeah. days. So this went on. That was when Mary Lincoln was about home? six months old. Car. Oh, we had to rent a car. <laughs> we had to rent a car. Um, and then that turned into like a every whole time that you call Josh when you're like traveling, is he, is he like what? He's, I think just every time I call him, period, in general, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. like, I don't want to answer this. Yeah, like, I'm like, scared. Whatever you tell him, he's like probably would believe. At yeah, this point. and like the thing is, like my mom is crazy, like crazy, and like the best way possible. So like she, you know, we're body and Clyde. We're like yeah. getting the hell yeah. out of there. Like she is not about to, you know, stay if there if there's like a rule, she's gonna bucket if right. it's gonna help me. Right, like, she doesn't care. So he also like hates us together because he's like, you two, I just can't <laughs> handle y'all. Um, so I continue to kind of ebb and flow of like, I'm sick. I'll have a month of reprieve. I'll feel better. I'm sick. I was just flying through drugs at that point. Right. I would, they would work for a month and then they would fail. Um, it was Meanwhile, just Meanwhile, getting... is your insurance just like off the charts? 
Yeah, it was pretty bad. And Ugh. I mean, we were just incurring like insane amounts of out-of-pocket out medical expenses, like pulling through savings for stuff. Um, it was bad because yeah. like a lot of too, what we were doing because what happened to me was so uncommon, we yeah. were having to push for things that the insurance was like, well, why do you need that? Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, the insurance part of it was like a whole other, you know, cluster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, I knew I couldn't carry again. Mm. You know, I knew within Did six they tell months. You that oh like, yeah. yeah. I mean, they had told me before I delivered because for like, we strongly advise for you to not get pregnant again. We don't know why this happened, mm. but like it does not, it is not a good idea for you to try to carry again. Something about being pregnant, your body just did not right. like, right. and that's really rare. That shouldn't have happened. We don't see that happen a lot. So don't try again. Right. Um, and so, but we had these frozen embryos. And so Josh um, and I start talking around, you know, Mary Ligon probably was about six months of like, okay, so what does this mean? So we can adopt, um, we can try to do surrogacy with mm -hmm. these like other embryos that we have, you know, what do we want to do? We definitely want another kid. We want them kind of close in age. So as I'm sick, we, I start kind of like parallel pathing this whole surrogacy thing because yeah. I just wanted to look into it and see what it was, um, you know, Josh grew up in like a really kind of just conservative Christian household. Like it was less science and more yeah. God. And so IVF yeah. was already kind of a hard hurdle for him sure. to get over. Not that he wasn't fine and totally accepting of it, but I think there was definitely a time where he different. was Yeah, he was probably like, yeah. oh, this is a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he wasn't like super comfortable with it. Yeah. My parents are super, very Catholic, very conservative. Yes. And, and when I decided to do it at 35, I really had to explain why and the anxiety behind it. And eventually That's really they were interesting like, that you also. They were like, well, my dad didn't, like, he kind of hung up the phone and I didn't Ooh. hear from him for a while. And then they ended up calling me back and he's like, hey, we want to help you out. Because I like, oh, like, this is an insurance policy. Yeah. And I saw my mom go through secondary yes. um, infertility, all the things. So I, I can totally relate to that. And it's that beautiful, it's like, though, that he came around. Even oh, yeah. His initial, you know, yeah. Because he could have not. And that would have been probably really hard for you to. Yeah, because I would have gone through it. And right. Like, I'm I'm going against my parents. Exactly. Like, wishes Which it doesn't matter how old religion. you are. Yeah. No, you don't no, want to disappoint. Yeah. You don't want to disappoint your parents. Yeah. That's not a yeah. good yeah. feeling. Um, so I knew surrogacy was going to be an even bigger hurdle yeah. because now it's like someone else is carrying our child. It's 100 percent our biological kid, but we're letting someone else carry it. And. That's a lot. Like yeah. that's a that's a tough mental load. Um, but you know, he's an amazing person and partner. And um he very quickly, you know, I think when he realized that was the best and only option, yeah. he got on board and was like, Okay, what do we need to do? Like, yeah. let's do it. Um, and so we started pursuing that. Um, I was still really sick, so I was a little bit worried that a surrogate wouldn't want to carry for us Why? because because I was sick and I had this like, you know, it wasn't terminal, but I have this chronic lifelong illness. Like I was worried somebody was going to be hesitant like to carry for me, not judgmental, but more like, like, you know, she's really sick. Should she be having another baby? Uh, I think I had this like, you, saying. you know, kind of insecurity that people were going to wonder why I was trying to have another kid when I like wasn't okay. I could barely take care of the God, one I had. I you were saying. Whereas my brain goes to like, wow, like a surrogate would be like, I'm helping this woman out because she can't. You right. Know what I mean? And the surrogate we ended up using was that Felt way. that I mean, way. Yeah. She was amazing. Yeah. And it was crazy because like I was having surgeries while I was pregnant. She, if she was a different person, she probably would have been like, oh my God, I'm going to get stuck with this baby. This woman is not okay. Like she is not going to be able to take care of this kid. It was such a oh roller coaster the whole time yeah. she was pregnant yeah. of like me getting more and more sick and her being like, you know, I've got to give you this baby when we're done. Like, right. are you okay? And at this um, point you're getting more and more sick through Crohn's or anything. Yes, it was the Crohn's. Okay. I mean, at that point we had kind of put endometriosis back on the back burner because once the pregnancy part of it was over. The Crohn's was literally trying to kill me. So that right. was all we were focused Concerned on. About. We were ignoring the endo right. because it just wasn't relevant right. at that point. 
Um, and so we went through surrogacy. We had the other baby. Um, but you miss Millie, you, Millie um, also extremely strong willed. I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> in a very different way. Yeah. We produced two of the most strong willed, yeah, just yeah. fiery girls we yeah. possibly but could have, but so that's good. They're going to need it. You yeah. know? So it's, yeah. I'm glad that they're that way. But so she delivered Millie at the end of April. Well, I remember calling her the pre previous September when they finally, I finally just called mercy. So they, I was like, uncle, I'm done. They had been telling me post-delivering Mary Ligon, look, if we can't make you better, the only thing that we might be able to do is give you a temporary ostomy. So, And an ostomy is what? So an ostomy is, it's basically an artificial opening in your abdomen where they take out, so they go in, they cut you open, they take either your small intestine or your large intestine, they like sever it essentially, yeah, and they yeah. bring it out through your abdominal wall and they attach a bag to it. It's like an appliance that you, you know, change every few days. Yeah. And that's how you go to the bathroom. So yeah. you just empty it throughout the day yeah. um, as it fills and then you change it every few days. So that's yeah. an ostomy. Yeah. I have an ileostomy. Mine was my small intestine. And they had been telling me for a couple of years, like, look, this is worst case scenario. This is like the very last option. Mm. But if we cannot fix you, it is going to get bad enough that the only way that we could potentially stop the disease so that we can save your digestive tract and you don't lose your entire colon and or <sighs> rectum God. is to have this surgery. But I mentally was like, I can't do it. Right. can't do it. Right. I mean, it took me a solid year and a half of just being so adamantly opposed and resistant to that idea. I was like, I can't go on with my life. I'm 36 years old. Like, how am I going to? Because the idea of having a bag outside your body. Yeah, it was really, really, really hard yeah. for me. And, and I mean, immediately I've got a disability. Immediately I'm not, you know, I am completely abnormal. Like yeah. this is, um, you know, this is a huge deal. And they also yeah. said, we're going to try to make it temporary. But like, if the disease doesn't retreat, it will become permanent. We will have to remove those organs and mm -hmm. make it permanent. So I was also going into it, not knowing if I was walking off a diving board. Like, right. I didn't know if this was the end of what I thought my life would be, or if it was going to be kind of the, you know, Hail Mary miracle cure that right. we thought it would be. Right. Which so, after everything you've been through, it's probably hard to have that sort of faith. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, it's also hard to be like, okay, this is where I am now. And I'm looking back being like, how the hell did this just happen? Like how did the last right. five years of my life, how did Escalate. I go from being like a total normal person to this like yeah. extreme escalation of like, now my intestines are out of my stomach and I'm walking around with an ostomy bag and like, I'm not okay. Like yeah. I'm a shell of what, you know, yeah. I used to be. So I had a really hard time coming to terms with that. Um, and especially too, because a lot of people, when they get them, it's an emergency situation. It's like cancer or bowel perforation. Like, Here it is. Right. And so in their mind, it saved their life. Right. So it's a different mentality when you wake up with it of like, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful for this right. thing. It saved my life. Right. To me, it felt like a prison sentence. And I was having to make the decision. The decision rested in my hands, not the doctor's. And so it was hard for me to just come to terms with it. So yeah. I remember calling Erin or surrogate and saying, look, um, I know Millie's due at the end of April, um, but I have to have this like crazy life altering surgery. I'm going to be okay. I just want to be honest with you about it. I'll be fine by the time Millie's born. That's why I'm just going to go ahead and, and call, call it and have it done now. So I have time to recover before right. she gets right. here, right. um, so that I can take care of her. And so we went through the surgery. Um, the positive of it was the second I woke up from the surgery, the disease started retreating. I could feel it almost instantly, which was crazy. The wow. second they disconnected the two parts, um, the disease just kind of like stopped. Like once nothing was moving through there yeah, anymore, yeah. everything just went, ha, ah, and it's I could like so feel it. Wild. It was wild. It's still wild. And they don't even fully understand why this happens. Right. That's what's so crazy. It is 2022 and yeah. they know that this works, but they don't understand why. why? Yeah, like they don't yeah. know the mechanism of like why it works. 
So we're, cele- we're celebrating at that point. You know, we're like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we won. We beat yeah. it. Like, yeah. this is amazing. The Crohn's is gone. So they're telling me, okay, three to six months, we will reverse it. Well, I'm doing the math in my head and I'm like, I can't do that. I'm going to have a newborn. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't, I can't. And so I remember having to have, you know, the conversations with my family and Josh and the doctors and just deciding, like, I know it's riskier to keep it longer. Right. But, um, and not make it permanent. Like, you're not supposed to keep necessarily temporary ostomies temporary. You either need to, like, make it permanent or reverse it. And so they like to typically do it within, like, a shorter time frame because the longer you keep it, those muscles atrophy. You can develop mm. other problems. Like, there's this thing called diversion colitis where, like, the bad bacteria and the good bacteria all die. Mm. And so that organ is, like, starving nothing. because yeah. it's not feeding off of anything. And so they don't like to leave them, you know, for a long time if they know it's going to eventually be reversed. But I was like, I got to do it for Millie. Like, right. I can't. I wasn't there for Mary Ligon. I'm not doing this again with Millie. I want to raise this baby. So I you wa- just had that guilt. Yeah, I yeah. wanted to. Well, not even guilt. Desire. Desire. I yeah, mean, yeah, I yeah. felt like I got yeah. robbed of, right. you know, those newborn months and snuggles and yeah. moments with her. And I was like, this is the healthiest I've been in five years. Like, how wonderful would it be if I could just have that special time with sure. her? Sure. Um, what's crazy too is your brain, like as a trauma response, kind of wipes your memory. It's yeah. like just a known, you know, coping yeah. mechanism. And so I didn't even remember the first six months of Mary Ligon's life. Like if we didn't have pictures, yeah. I wouldn't have remembered anything. And Josh yeah. would tell me things and I, I would have no recollection that it happened. It was insane. Like my wow. body just wiped all of that from me. There's a lot of the pregnancy I don't remember. Mm. And it's just a trauma response. So I didn't want to not have those memories with Millie. Yeah. So I made the decision, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it. So it's been, so she was born at the end of April. Well then of course, fast forward to September of that year. So this was 2021. 2021. Yeah. yeah. Last she's year. She's a year and a half, right? Well at that, no, at that point she was only no, April I mean, now, to, now oh yeah, yeah. Now yeah, she's yeah. a year and a half. Um, I developed like a very uncommon, like <laughs> dangerous, um, <laughs> issue with my did. ostomy on a bachelorette party for my best friend in Asheville. So, um, you know, for lack of a better way to explain my intestines basically fell out of my stomach. Oh. My ostomy like dismantled <laughs> itself and had prolapsed out of my stomach while I'm in Asheville on a bachelorette party. So my other best friend, childhood best friend, Rachel, thank goodness she's an orthopedic device sales and like not scared of blood at right. all. Her dad's a doctor too. And I call her. I'm upstairs. She's downstairs. I call her. And I'm like, hey, girl, Um, I know you were about to go on a wine tour, but I got a little bit of a problem. Can oh you come upstairs? I need your help. We need to call my dad. I'm like, don't tell anybody. Like, just sneak upstairs. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. So she comes upstairs. She's like, ah, like my intestines are hanging out. She's like, oh, my God. Like, you're not OK. We need to go to a hospital immediately. And I'm like, no, no, no. Call my dad. Call my dad. Yeah. Like, call my yeah. dad. Let me see if we can fix this. Because he makes he ironically makes ostomies for cancer. So he was very familiar with this, like, anatomically. Like, he sure, knew. Sure, sure. He knows them. He's very familiar Here's with ostomies. Here's push back in this Well, yeah. Hole. That's what I yeah. was trying to see yeah. if we could fix it. Yeah. And so... We're call- we're FaceTiming my dad. We have no service in the mountains. Oh, he's like in and out God. being like, put sugar on it, do this, do that, try to press it. Finally, he's like, you got to go to the hospital. Like, uh, it's just because if it's strangulated, you have you're on a you're on a time frame at this point that yeah. like, that tissue is going to die. Like, you've got to get to the hospital. So at that point, Rachel's like, oh, my freaking just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I have to drive you back to Atlanta because they're like, don't go to the hospital in Nashville. Like, do not go to some <laughs> small hospital in Nashville that does not know you. Like, you've got to get back to Atlanta. And I'm like, how? Like, she's trying to help me, like, stuff my intestines back oh into a bag and get God. it, like, fitted so that I could get home. She's like, we have to drive you or we have to call an ambulance. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I'm going to drive myself. I'm not, like, in pain necessarily. This is just crazy. But yeah. I'm going to drive myself. 
And my dad, again, you know, just being like typical, he's like, if you're not in pain and you're not like nauseous or feel like you're going to pass out, the fastest way for you to do this is just get in your car and drive home. We'll call your surgeon on the way. We'll let him know you're coming. But like, if you can get back to Atlanta, just get back to Atlanta. So I drove like a hundred miles an hour from Asheville to Atlanta, holding my intestines like against my body so That's that like they would stay there. Drive. It was like, I think it's three and a half Isn't and I made it? it in like 245. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm, I mean, at this point I'm like, what if a cop's going to pull me over? Right. Like, Hey, I'm gonna lead be like, the way, sir. Yeah. Actually, if you could turn on your lights and yeah. help me get there faster, yeah, that great. would be great. So I ended up having to have emergency surgery for that. And it, and when the surgeon came in, she said, look, you have one of two options. This one is shot. I can either go in and rebuild it and make you a new one. That'll be another temporary one, or we can just try to reverse it. And so that was really hard because I was at a crossroads of like, am I ready for this? Right. And Millie was, you know, maybe six months old and I'd been feeling really good. Yeah. And it, like it was about to be the holidays. So you're afraid to reverse it because all the symptoms can come back immediately. Is that why? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I just wasn't ready yet. I was like, I can't make this decision yeah. like on a whim. This yeah. is crazy. I'm not there yet. And so talked to Josh, talked to all the doctors and everybody was kind of like, let's just fix this one. Right. And then, you make know, next year we'll buy you a little bit more time. Yeah. And then next year we'll um, try to reverse it. Right. So I've just been dragging my feet. Um, because at this point I was starting to have like really bad endometriosis pain again. Mm. And so I knew they were related. I knew they were affecting each other. My Crohn's had completely, you know, retreated and gone into surgical remission. But every time I got my period, it would flare for a couple of days. And so I had that gut instinct again of like, these are connected. There's something going on here. I probably need to figure out what's wrong before I reverse or like it's the disease is going to come, come right back, back right away. Yeah. Yeah. So I start going back to the endo doctors and the OBs again. And I'm like, I'm back. Okay. So like now we got to deal with the endometriosis. This is like this year, right? Like, yeah, this yeah. 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 This was in this past year. So everybody, you know, hummed and hawed of like, we don't want to do a hysterectomy at 37, but like really at the end of the day, like we probably need to take that uterus out. I have adenomyosis too, which is related to endo and there's no cure for that except for taking the uterus out. Um, they knew that my uterus was adhered to my abdominal wall and there was a lot of scar tissue because they had seen it when they went in for my ostomy surgery yeah. and notated it. So we knew it what did it wasn't good in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of went back and forth, back and forth. You know, we went back down to Mayo, talked to all their experts. They were like, the people in Atlanta can do the surgery, but like we agree it needs to be done. Um, the hysterectomy. Yes. And yeah. like going back in and making sure we clear all of the endometriosis out because it's obviously affecting the your Crohn's, Crohn's because right. every time your endo flares during your period, your Crohn's is flaring. Right, right, so right. like, let's get it out. So that's how we got to the hysterectomy. So Jeez. we went through that and that was a hard decision for Which me. Which mind Not- you guys, this is like two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're here um, doing a podcast, drinking a margarita. Right. Don't tell my doctor. Um, well, you're so, like yeah. the healthiest person otherwise, like honestly. Yeah. And that, yeah. I was no, going to ask fine. you that because like this whole time, you know, I come over to your house and like everything's organic and it's fruits and vegetables yeah. and you know, she wasn't able to, like, when she called me, she's like, hi, um, <laughs> I got your name. You trained one of my, my best friends. I trained another, um, one of her friends and she recommended you and here's what's going on. And I'm like, okay, my grandma had Crohn's, but she was 83 and she, she this, you know, we're talking like 68 years ago and she was yeah. first diagnosed and I'm familiar with it, but I've never trained anybody and you weren't allowed to lift. No. A certain amount of weight, yeah. like you had help because you couldn't lift your daughter. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going <laughs> to do it? But like talking to you, you were so desperate. You're like, I just need to get stronger so that we can do these surgeries. I'm like, great. I'll, I'll do whatever I possibly can. But you're physically doing everything that you possibly can. Because yeah. I think a lot of times, mm-hmm. like when people are in this situation, you have to look at your diet. You have to look oh, at yeah, your you movement. Look you at have everything. to look at all this stuff. Yeah. And 
that it's not going to cure anything, mm. but like everything contributes to it. Right. right? So coming in your house and like seeing what you surround yourself with and like, you know, I, I don't do gluten. I don't eat sugar. Mm-hmm. Like I, all these things. And I'm like, yeah, like you're literally doing everything you possibly can to yeah. give your body the best chance yeah, that's at keeping a uterus mm-hmm. at, you know, having the thing reversed ostomy. I can never say it. ostomy <laughs> reversed. No, um, and it's like, but then I was like, well, you're actually really fun to hang out with too. So <laughs> this is great. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to go have a hysterectomy. I'm like, okay, bye. Yeah, okay. Guess but, we'll see you later. But like, you're, you're just, um, and I know you have your days, but it's, it's so inspiring that somebody going through so much trauma, so much physical pain, like you're just like a lot, like I'm around people all the time. And like, I'm very much an energy feeler mm-hmm. and vice versa, I think. And like, you just have this sort of cool, calm, like collectiveness about you that's mm. energetic and hopeful and you're resilient and you're real and you're raw and it's very intriguing. It's very engaging. Um, so I hope that like two years we're sitting here and you're like telling this whole story again mm. and like we're talking about surrogacy. Maybe we should do something on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but where like everything is healed and mm-hmm. the bag is gone and everything's reversed, like how do you maintain hope that you mentioned it earlier, you felt abnormal, right? As yeah. a younger kid, like I yeah. just don't feel, and I think everyone goes through something like mm-hmm. looking back, like having depression and bipolar and eating disorders, like, yeah, that's not normal, but it's actually quite common. Yeah. So when people start talking about it, it's like, okay, at least I don't feel like a, like a, you just don't feel like an outcast. Mm-hmm. So how do you, obviously you have the support of a husband, mm-hmm. your supportive or support of your parents, like, how do like on the day-to-day like mental side, like what do you do to stay in that space? Um, you know, you and I talked about it before. I think like you've said in the past, like happiness is, um, a habit and being positive is a choice. I mean, I know a lot of other chronically ill people that I've met along the way. And the problem with having any sort of disease, um, especially if it's a chronic long-term kind of debilitating illness, but it's not terminal. Sure. Is you get stuck cycling through the, you know, five or seven stages of grief. Like you're every couple months or weeks or years or whatever your, you know, cycle is, you're going through the shock, denial, pain, anger. I mean, you're just constantly cycling through those emotions and there's no end in sight because it's not terminal. So it's not like, you know, okay, I got to live it up while I can because I'm going to die. It's like, I've got to deal with this the rest of my life. And like, it's going to come with a lot of pain and suffering. And, you know, you have anger that you've missed out on things. You have anger. Why were you dealt these cards? You have, you know, bargaining of, okay, I'll never eat a piece of gluten ever again. If you're going to clear me, you you, you go through or heal me, you go through all of these emotions constantly. And it can be, it can really drag you down. I mean, it can make you really, really depressed, but I think I just have always had the attitude of, I was dealt these cards. Mm. They suck, Mm. but I have one or two options. I can let this define me and I can let it victimize me and I can let it hold me down and become like a victim of it. Right. Or I can choose to just be happy for what I do have because I do have a lot of positive in my life and I do have a lot of things to be thankful for. And I'm just going to choose to focus on that and, you know, be happy because like, guess what? Life is short. And like, yeah. I could get hit by a car or diagnosed with cancer tomorrow <laughs> or and log. die. Yeah. Or log <laughs> or impaled by a log on the highway. Um, so, you know, I think I just realized like, yeah, I've dealt these shitty cars, but like at the end of the day, like I do love life and right. like, I have a lot to live for. And right, so right. I choose to be happy. You know, there are days I've had some really, really dark 
days. Like I'm not going to pretend like I'm this, you know, happy, perfect, positive person all the time because I go through bad dips where like, I am not okay. Um, you know, and those are hard because when they, when they happen, they're, they're bad, they're deep. And, you know, I never, I was like a very positive person that never, um, like dealt with depression or anything, but through this illness, I mean, there were times where like, I, I would say more suicidal ideation, yeah. or like the pain yeah. was so bad or like the suffering was so great around me that I was convincing myself like everybody would be better off without sure. me sure. around or like I would be better if I wasn't around. Like I've had those dark times. I've had those dark moments, but I've yeah. also just always had this will to live that mm. was stronger than that. And so it would eventually, you know, take over and be like, no, F that. You're yeah. like, you yeah. are good. Like, you have a lot to live for. You have a lot of people that love you and a lot to be thankful for, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps yeah. and go on. You have endured so much. Right. Like there are don't times where now. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Don't stop <laughs> now. There are days where I'm like, I don't know if I can take right. much more. Like, right, right, I don't right. know if I can go every surgery in the last five years. I've been like, I can't do this again. Yeah. You know, yeah. post-op first three days. I'm like crying to my parents or Josh. Like, yeah. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I always do it. And yeah. I always get on the other yeah. side. I mean, I should still be on bed rest. And I'm like, up hanging out with you, talking to you, like you bounce back, you just become resilient. And I just choose to, you know, I let myself feel those things. I don't suppress them. And I think, you know, going to therapy, Mm -hmm. having a supportive spouse, having supportive family, I've had a lot of people to lean on that have helped kind of nudge me, let me lift myself back up along the way, but it is a conscious choice. And Mm -hmm. You know, the fertility part of it was hard because that affected my relationships drastically just sure. because we were all going through it at the same time. And, you know, that that portion of it was harder than all of the medical stuff, mainly because it was something I shared with uh, like the chronic illness part. No one understands because no one else has these chronic illnesses that I'm surrounded by. Right. But the pregnancy part, we were all going through together. But then I had the infertility part. Sure. So that affected me more deeply and like messed with the depression more than anything else that was probably the least happy time Mm. of this entire thing like brought me down the most of anything yeah um but again you just you know i got two kids here somehow miraculously which is like insane i'm so thankful for that and i look at them now and i do kind of have a different like appreciation of being a parent and having these kids because they drive me so crazy (laughs) all the time. But it's funny because like right before I'm about to snap, like this calmness will come over me of like, I'll look at them and laugh. Like I want to like kill you right now. I'm just so like amazed that you're here and thankful that you're here, that it calms me down. So I feel like it's almost like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from an outsider looking in, like, yes, they drive you crazy and they do certain things. And it's like, how do you control a one and a half year old? Right. How do you get them to eat or whatever? Yeah. But I think when you've been through stuff that you've been through, yeah. you look at that and you have your frustration and then there's a moment where you snap and you're like, in a good way, snap. And yeah. you're like, this doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's, this right. isn't a big deal. Yes, like, it does. Okay, fine, don't eat whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, and even throw in our relationship, yeah. like even Josh and I's relationship, you know, we never had a fighting chance. We got married under the pretenses that like everything was fine and right. we were this normal couple entering right. this normal life together. And then six months in, a bomb drops on us, the rug is pulled out from under us. And it's like, you guys have, you know, hardship, 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 right, like right. issue, issue, deep, deep, deep. We never got to be just a happy couple, you know, normal. And it's so funny. Cause I hear people say like, Oh my God, the first year of marriage was awful. It was so hard. Like that was the like hardest part of all of this. <laughs> You're like, like, Oh, really? was it? Yeah. I was like, we never had that, but I realized, and we've, it's come out kind of through therapy over yeah. the years that 
we went into fight or flight so fast yeah. that him and I never were able to get bogged down by the mundane BS of like, oh, he's doing this and it's driving me crazy because we were having to deal with such heavy, heavy stuff right. Right. that none of those little things mattered. So six years into the marriage, 10 years into the relationship, we're looking at each other and being like, man, we are a ride or die. Like we can get through right. anything, right. which is that. good, but also like we never got to deal with or, you know, have any of the other little nuances that like other couples have, right. you know? Right. And so I am thankful for that because our relationship is so strong. And now I'm like, you know, we can get through everything, but I, you know, there is a little bit of sadness of like, we kind of lost that normal yeah. newlywed yeah. thing. You know, we never got to, never got to have that. We yeah. never got to experience trying to get pregnant together. Like sure. we never, we lost a lot of kind of that normal stuff, but both of us, we have, we kind of, we're very different people, very different personalities. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, yeah. Josh, we are not, we are like <laughs> oil and water, but so it funny. works. I'm like, you guys need um, a reality show, honestly. Yeah, we are polar so opposites, but we both, A, choose, he's had a lot of hardship in his life. Yeah. And yeah. Um, there's some time where I have some guilt around that, you know, he had a kind of, he had a lot of hard stuff growing up and then he marries me thinking he's like having this normal life. And then all of a sudden it's like, surprise, just kidding. The hard stuff's not over. Here's a deck of shit cards to deal with. Like again. Um, so he, while I feel bad, I also think there was a hundred percent a reason that the two of us were, you yeah. know, found each other and, you know, ended up together because he's so equipped to handle this. And he has such a positive yeah. outlook on life. So like yeah. he affects me a lot too, because he's been through so much, but he also chooses every single day to like, wake up and not be a victim of that. Mm. You know, he could be really angry. Mm. He could have a lot of, you know, hurt and baggage and why me and yeah. just be dragging that around with him. But instead he gets up every single day and chooses to be happy and like love everybody and everything unconditionally, not um, hold grudges towards other people for the being normal. You know, right, like there's right, no right, jealousy right. or like, you know, angered that someone else doesn't have it as hard. He just has accepted that this, like, is, this how is it. His yeah. life is and he's moved forward. We both are very much like humor people, like very yeah. self-deprecating. Yeah, like yeah, we yeah. Sim similar senses of humor. So we laugh a lot. Like there are so many times I cannot tell you that I have gone from like the worst breakdown of my life. Like I am in utter despair sobbing yeah. to we are hysterically laughing five minutes yeah. later. And yeah. I don't know if it's like, I'll just say that was <laughs> healthy or not. Um, but that's how we survive, you sure. know? Cause it's like, he lets me fall, but then he's really quick to like make me laugh again to realize, to kind of break that negativeness and that hurt yeah. and that despair of like, but like, this is kind of funny and let's laugh about right. it. And like, I right. think we both would rather be laughing than crying. Yeah. And so we're able to connect on that of like, we can snap each other both out of it of like, yeah, this really sucks. And I'm going to like let you have those feels. But the second you're done, like we're going to laugh about something right. because life is too short and we could die tomorrow of anything. So <laughs> literally we're going to, you know, choose to move forward. Right. So right. I think, you know, it's 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 a choice. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day. Wow. What a wild story. And I mean, I know it's not over, so yeah. we'll have to have a part two. Over, we'll yeah. bring you back. Yeah. But I, I, I have a good feeling about the second part. Do I feel you, good Do you feel it. good about I it? I do. I feel like we're I mean, kind you're of... the one that has the gut feelings. Yeah. What's your gut feeling? So my gut you? feeling is we've been climbing this hill for the last, you know, four or five years. You can see the and top. I, I can see the top. Yeah. And I feel good about crossing over and going, you know, down the other side. 
And I think that if I didn't have a good gut feeling about that, there's no way I'd be able to go into the surgery. Sure. So I'm going in cautiously optimistic. I fully understand that it could go, you know, horribly wrong and I could end up back where I started four years right. ago. But I feel good about it. Um, and I'm in a place now where, like, the, you know, the kids are a little bit older. Yeah. I got to do – they're in school now, so they're in preschool. So they have their own lives sure. and like, things to do to – I'm not their entire world. I mean, I am, but they have other things going on to distract them. So I feel if we're going to try, like try now, you know, um, did you schedule? So we'll see. Uh, they won't schedule it until I have a procedure in October to assess everything everything to make sure we're good to move forward. And as long as I get the okay, then they'll schedule it, but we're shooting for, um, December. So beginning of the, or end of the year. Um, so fingers crossed and I'm dying. I'm so funny because I, I first two questions to my surgeon for my hysterectomy were <laughs> when can I go back to pelvic floor therapy and when can I work out with Megan again? And he's looking at me like, I'm about to take your uterus. And these are the questions you're asking me. I'm like, yeah, that's all I care about. And he's like, six weeks. Like you cannot do anything for six weeks. And well, so, because you want to feel normal. Yeah, of course like, I do. And we like, all want we all can go to the gym whenever we want. Nobody chooses to. No. Right. Exactly. But you are like one that I'm like, I actually want to work out. Well, and that's a problem. Like I, don't I have genuinely like love you and I miss you. <laughs> and I'm like, I need Megan back in my life. Like I need my daily you're dose so of Meg. Sweet. Like I just I've missed that. And yeah. you know, it, you're when I called you and said, look, I have, you know, I've got a hernia. I've got this ostomy. I can't lift over 10 pounds. I can't lift my children. I have a lot of restrictions, but like, will you be my trainer? I need to get strong for my surgery. I could tell you really probably wanted to say no initially, but you listened to me, you yeah. heard me and you immediately went into like, okay, how do I make this happen? Mode? Yeah. And I just felt like a sense of like relief and safety and also just like love for you that you were willing to take on somebody that 90% of trainers would be like, absolutely not. You're a walking liability. Um, you know, and then we started working together. Yeah, exactly. I am the reason you have your liability insurance. Um, yeah. So it's just, uh, I feel like you came into my life just like, I feel like Josh came into my life and you're very much a part of the story and we'll start working out again when I get cleared and then we'll have to stop again. I'm going to have to call you and say one more organ's got to go. And then that'll be 12 weeks of no working out. But then after that girl, you're about to get me in the best shape of my life. I love it. I can't wait. You are. We're going to do some before and afters. So like come spring, we need to start taking before and after pictures. I'm going to be bagless. So no more ostomy and I'm going to be hot and I'm going to be wearing low rise bikinis and jeans again. I love it. So I love it. I'm, I'm so glad you came into my life. You've, you've provided more than just like, joy you've provided hope for me and my journey of met because we talk about we talk about everything you know <laughs> so um just thank you for trusting me and believing in me and whether you got strong or not, I don't know. We never did a, we never did your second muscle mass. <laughs> Listen, I bounce back really freaking fast. Yeah, so I think do. that's a testament to what we were able to accomplish because I didn't have any of the bed pains. Like Good. I didn't have any of the, Good. you know, back pain, joint pain. i I was out of that hospital bed. The second I could like function and was off meds, I was up. Okay, good. So I do think we absolutely okay, made, good. That made makes progress. Me feel good. Yes. Because like sometimes, you know, it's hard to measure this yeah. sort of stuff without getting on a body comp scale right. and seeing. But like, you know your body. Yeah. So that makes me feel good. Yeah. We accomplished right. what we set okay. out to accomplish, right. even though I cut it drastically shorter than I told you. I'm like, we've got like six months to a year to work on this. And it was like, just kidding. I have to have a hysterectomy. We got to stop for a little bit. Skirt, like, well, plans. here we are in a different capacity. So yeah. I'm, I'm so inspired by you. I'm so proud of you. And I really appreciate you sharing your whole story. I know this will help a lot of people. Yeah. So thank you. thank you. You're welcome. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. The biggest compliment I ever receive is when you like the episode, you share it with your friends and your family or a stranger that is in need of hearing this information and from these 
beautiful guests, and then also to give us a five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I would also love to hear from you. So if you would like, you can DM me at six feet above podcast on Instagram, or send me an email six feet above podcast at gmail.com. So that's six, the number six feet above podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear your questions, your comments, your feedback, your suggestions, and also any guests that you would love to hear from in the future. Thanks for listening.